Hello, hello to all my readers and listeners. This is Karen Hunt, aka KH Magic, coming to you on Halloween night with a, a rather fitting essay for that, I suppose. I took a few, little bit of time off. I think you might have noticed that I haven't published any writing over the past week or so. And that's because I wanted to take a little bit of time to sort of reflect on everything that's been happening. It's a very emotional time for a lot of people. And uh, I want to make sure that my writing comes from the comes from the right place uh, of wisdom, courage, inspiration, at least to the best of my ability, and not just some sort of an emotional outburst. That's what I never, ever want to do. I actually got a lot of um, rather horrible um, uh, messages and uh, emails from some people who then, you know, said they were no longer going to subscribe, which is fine. Uh, that doesn't deter me in the least. But and I'm also happy to say that even more people ended up actually subscribing over this past week. So that's very encouraging. Uh, before I get into this essay, I want to give a big thank you to everyone who supports my work. If you haven't yet, please consider becoming a free or a paid subscriber. Thank you so very much. And I, dear readers and listeners, I cannot tell you how glad I am to finally bring you this essay, the first in a new series of occasional essays on the big picture. They do take me uh, some amount of time to write in between everything else that I do, hence the occasional part. I want to give a special thanks to former U.S. Air Force personnel Robin Rufo for sharing her anthrax vaccine story with us. The big picture is never complete without a personal story to bring it home to all of us. So this big picture story is called How Anthrax and the War on Terror Brought Us to the Brink of World War III. The most important ingredient for state propaganda is historical ignorance. And that's a quote from Glenn Greenwald. On September 20th, 2001, nine days after Al-Qaeda terrorists hijacked four commercial passenger airplanes and carried out suicide attacks against the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, Bush announced the war on terror, saying, our war on terror begins with Al-Qaeda, but it does not end there. It will not end until every terrorist group of global reach has been found, stopped, and defeated. Never has a presidential promise failed more abysmally than this one. Instead of ridding the world of terrorists, they have multiplied. Just like the war on drugs, the war on terror has proved too lucrative to the politicians, the drugs arms dealers, the billionaires club to consider ending it. When it comes to Hamas, leaders in the United States and Israel should take their share of the blame for creating this monster, although of course they never will. For years, the United States and Netanyahu's government gave billions of dollars in humanitarian aid to Hamas, which was then used to amass military supplies and build a network of tunnels beneath Gaza where more than 200 hostages from nations all over the world now languish. Meanwhile, the leaders of Hamas live luxurious lifestyles in Qatar and Turkey, far from the bloodshed of the people they claim to represent. Deals are made in Qatar between men who love war for the power it gives them, just as deals have always been made down through history, and I am not sure why anyone is surprised that this time it's no different. 
When I think of our fearless leaders, the image of Afghan President Ashraf Ghani comes, always comes to mind. As the United States abandoned hundreds of its own people when it exited Afghanistan in 2021, Ghani fled the country with four vehicles and a helicopter so stuffed full of cash that a trail of money was left lying on the tarmac. The United States' virtuous defense of Ukraine is another hypocritical example of the madness of money and war. By the end of 2022, Washington had spent almost $20 billion on arming Ukraine, nearly double the amount the United States gave in 2021 to 12 other countries combined, including Afghanistan $4.1 billion, Israel $3.3 billion, and Egypt $1.3 billion. As of February 2023, the total amount in aid from Western nations had reached a staggering $150 billion, according to the Kiel Institute for the World Economy. The amounts of money kept escalating as Americans were asked to tighten their belts. As of September 2023, the United States has given to Ukraine $113 billion, and no one is sure where that money has gone. The White House is now asking for almost $106 billion for Israel, Ukraine, and the border. The bulk of that money will go to Ukraine, while $14.3 billion will go to Israel. According to The Nation, this year's proposed budget for the Pentagon and nuclear weapons work at the Department of Energy is $886 billion. The Pentagon now consumes more than half the federal discretionary budget, leaving priorities like public health, environmental protection, job training, and education to compete for what remains. In 2020, Lockheed Martin received $75 billion in Pentagon contracts, more than the entire budget of the State Department and the Agency for International Development combined. The average taxpayer spends $1,087 per year on weapons contractors compared to $270 for K-12 education and just $6 for renewable energy. No matter what our leaders say to the contrary, their commitment is not to the people, but to the perpetuation of war. Ukraine was one of the biggest black markets for weapons in the world, and it wouldn't be a stretch to assume it is now the biggest. As with recent conflicts involving the U.S., such as Afghanistan and Syria, weapons officially sent by the U.S. are diverted when they arrive in Ukraine, eventually making their way into the hands of extremist militias, paramilitary groups, drug traffickers, and terrorist organizations like Hamas. The war on terror is a nebulous term that often means assassinating notorious individuals like Al-Qaeda's Osama bin Laden and Iran's Qasem Soleimani. In the case of Soleimani, President Donald Trump said that he ordered a precision strike to terminate a top Iranian commander who was plotting imminent and sinister attacks on Americans, adding that the decision was one of deterrence rather than aggression. We took action last night to stop a war. We did not take action to start a war, Trump said in a statement. Except that four years later, rather than stopping wars, we are facing World War III, with one of our main enemies being Iran. Ever since 9-11, the government has relentlessly made sure that terrorism looms large in our minds. Without the threat of terrorism, most of the recent wars we've engaged in would not have been justified. Wars are a way to push totalitarianism and surveillance as a means to keep people safe. Wars are a way for unpopular leaders to increase their ratings in the polls, even as they fleece citizens for every last time, telling them it's for the cause of freedom. 
Many people would be surprised to learn that terrorism is not only a much rarer cause of death than non-communicable or infectious diseases, it is also a rare cause of violent death. More than four times as many people die in armed conflicts, and more than ten times as many die from homicides. homicides. In America, we have our own type of terrorist, the mass shooter. More than 560 mass shootings have taken place in the United States so far this year, including the one in Lewiston, Maine. The rate of mass shootings in 2023 has consistently outpaced that of past years, with an average of nearly two mass shootings a day. While in 2021 alone, there were a total of 48,830 firearm deaths, 54% from suicides, which is another surprising fact, the average number of deaths due to actual terrorist attacks over the last decade was around 24,000 per year. Below is a chart of what people die from. <laughs> if you look at the teeny tiny writing in the lower right-hand corner, 0.05% is from terrorism. And I have the chart there. You can look at it. 33% die from heart disease, 80, 18% from cancers, and down that list it goes until the teeny tiny writing in the lower right-hand corner. According to Brown University, over the past 20 years or so, the cost of attempting to eradicate terrorists has been $8 trillion, while more than 900,000 people have died. <clears throat> Those deaths include U.S. military members, allied fighters, opposition fighters, civilians, journalists, and humanitarian aid workers who were killed as a direct result of war, whether by bombs, bullets, or fire. It does not the researchers noted, include the many indirect deaths the war on terror has caused by way of disease, displacement, and loss of access to food or clean drinking water. The catchphrase, never let a good crisis go to waste, is attributed to Winston Churchill. Referring to the financial crisis in 2008, Rahm Emanuel, the incoming White House Chief of Staff for then-President-elect Barack Obama, said, you never want a serious crisis to go to waste, and he echoed it again during COVID. Creating the term, the war on terror, allowed the government to create crisis after crisis as justification for war. The anthrax attacks that happened shortly after 9-11 are a distant memory in most Americans' minds, but perhaps more than any other event, they played an important role in softening people up to accept totalitarianism as a means to fight against enemies that were literally everywhere, in the air we breathed, on the surfaces we touched, and from our best friends who could kill us just by giving us a hug. Sure, planes crashing into buildings are terrifying, but those were isolated incidents that happened to a limited number of people who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. The anthrax attacks, on the other hand, proved that terrorists could covertly invade your home with substances that you could not see or smell, but that if you inhaled them or even touched them could kill you. And here's some it's interesting, here's some incidents of when anthrax has been used as a biological weapon. The first mo modern incident of anthrax spores being used as a bi biological warfare occurred when Nordic rebels supplied by the German general staff used anthrax against the Imperial Russian Army in Finland in 1916. Anthrax was first tested as a biological warfare agent by Unit 731 of the Japanese 
Kwantung Army in Manchuria during the 1930s. Some of it, this testing involved intentional infection of prisoners of war, thousands of whom died. Anthrax, designated at the time as Agent N, was also investigated by the Allies in the 1940s. In 1942, British bioweapons trials severely contaminated Greenyard Island in Scotland with anthrax bars of the volume 14578 strain, rendering it uninhabitable. Around the same time, 5 million cattle cakes, animal feed pellets impregnated with anthrax spores, were prepared for Operation Vegetarian, anti-livestock attacks against Germany to be made by the Royal Air Force. The plan was for anthrax-based biological weapons to be dropped on Germany in 1944. However, the edible cattle cakes and the bomb were not used. The cattle cakes were incinerated in late 1945. In 1979, at least 66 people died after airborne anthrax bacteria emerged from a military lab in the Soviet Union. But leading American scientists voiced confidence in the Soviets' claim that the pathogen had jumped from, get this, animals to humans. Only after a full-fledged investigation in the 1990s did one of those scientists confirm that the accident in what is now the Russian Urals city of Yekaterinburg was a lab leak, one of the deadliest ever documented. It's ironic how the New York Times covered up truth about COVID, going with the jumping from animal to human theory, while saying this about the anthrax while saying this about the anthrax, uh, uh, the anthrax leak in Soviet Russia. It shows how an authoritarian government can successfully shape the narrative of a disease outbreak and how it can take years and perhaps regime change to get to the truth. As the Soviet Union crumbled, so did its ability to keep secrets. Soon, Mr. Yeltsin, who himself was part of the cover-up, as the top communist official in the region in 1979, admitted that the military was to blame. At a summit meeting with President George Bush in February 1992, Yeltsin came clean, admitting to the elder Bush that the Severodlovsk incident was the result of an accident at a Soviet biological warfare installation. It's interesting that the elder Bush found out about the anthrax attack in the Soviet Union and then probably told the story to his son, who then became president and experienced an anthrax terrorist attack in the United States. Of course, in all of our minds, the question arises of whether or not it was a setup. As with COVID, reporting on the anthrax scare of 2001 started with reassurance and no reason to fear, only to keep on escalating. It's an isolated incident with no reason to believe it was a terrorist attack turned into America Strikes Back. Any attempt to terrorize Americans is going to fail. Germ warfare, rare, inhaled form. By the end of six weeks, the media was saying there was still no sign that the worst case of bioterrorism in this country is close to being solved. And I have a video there uh, that shows a, a sort of a, a smattering, a, a bunch of these various um, media scare tactics that they used during an the anthrax attacks. With the fear of biological attacks so deeply embedded into Americans' minds, people easily complied with the draconian restrictions Dr. Fauci imposed on their freedoms. People say they will never do it again, but they will. If another attack comes, you can be sure it will be more terrifying than COVID. 
One of Anthony Fauci's first warnings was that we could get sick or even die just by touching a surface that was contaminated. With this terrifying news, he convinced people to start performing the first of many rituals, disinfecting everything, even down to the packages our food was wrapped in. People took off their clothes before entering their houses. They slathered their hands in sanitizers, never caring that the chemicals were far more dangerous than the ordinary germs they encountered every day. Millions of people are still brainwashed. They continue to feel safer wearing masks and um, and using chemical-laden hand, sanitizer, hand sanitizers, then breathing fresh air and developing a healthy immune system. It doesn't matter how illogical this is or how detrimental it actually is to their health. People want an expert telling them what to do, and they want to believe the expert without question. This brings comfort in the midst of chaos and fear. The fact is, the danger of nuclear war or a biological attack is real, and there is no protection against it for ordinary citizens, much as the government would like us to believe that there is. Nor is there a way to keep us safe from the real terror, the increasingly out-of-control evil wrought upon us by the powerful. We have just been through three years of a so-called plague, and we are more in the dark than ever. Experts now abound on both sides of the aisle, but who is right? Was COVID just a bad flu? A bioweapon? How about the vaccines? Are they even vaccines? Do they work or don't they? Are mRNA vaccines a plot to get rid of all the useless eaters? Are they the bioweapons? Maybe COVID and the vaccines are both bioweapons. Maybe not. How can we trust anything we're told by anyone anymore? Of one thing we can be sure, people are dying in ways that cannot be termed natural causes. Seven days after the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, anonymous letters laced with deadly anthrax spores began arriving at media companies and congressional offices. Over the ensuing months, five people died from inhaling anthrax and 17 others were infected after exposure. And then, poof, the danger disappeared as quickly as it had appeared, and we all forgot about it. We moved on. But it was there, in the back of our minds, without us even realizing it. The psychological scarring didn't start, didn't start with COVID. It's been going on for a long time, and the anthrax attacks were a big part of it. We might have forgotten, and we might have forgotten and moved on, but millions of military personnel who had been forced to take the anthrax vaccine before any of us had ever even heard of it did not. Many of them went on to suffer horrific side effects as a result of those vaccines. Between March 1998 and December 2008, nearly 8 million doses of biothrax were administered to over 2 million U.S. military personnel as part of the program. Retired Marine Major Dale Sarin, a former JAG officer, authored the book United States vs. Members of the Armed Forces, The Truth Behind the Department of Defense's Anthrax Vaccine Immunization Program. Published in 2020, he also offered legal advice to attorneys with clients facing punishments for refusals. Sarin's clients and many others were often top performers, some early in their careers and others nearing retirement. But once they refused the vaccine, their commands sought to punish them. The venom with which they went after people, I just find that abhorrent, Saren said. Those service members were charged and threatened. People's lives were destroyed. Just like what happened with the COVID vaccines. So much suffering can be traced back to the war on terror and the bottomless pit of greed that lies at the heart of Washington. If we don't stand up to our governments and say enough is enough, if we don't start listening to the voices of those who have suffered for years in silence, 
How can we virtuously claim we're doing anything to make it better now by screaming about injustices on social media? It is all so cowardly and pointless. Robin Rufo was one of the millions of soldiers who got the anthrax vaccines. When she became ill, no one listened to her. No one was interested. Robin and I met on Twitter before it was banned a year ago. We reconnected when I was let back on. I wanted to give her a chance to speak, not only for her own sake, but to remind all of us that, as Glenn Greenwald has said, the most important ingredient for state propaganda is historical ignorance. It is imperative that we do not remain ignorant. Those in power want us so caught up in the emotion of the moment that we forget how we got here, forget that we are all brothers and sisters fighting the same battle. The powerful want us to turn on one another instead of exposing the truth about them. Here is Robin's story. There's a lovely picture of her there, if you want to look at it. I grew up in Fords, New Jersey, and moved to South Florida when I was 13. My parents divorced. I'm still an absolute tomboy, outgoing, fun-loving, on my good days. I went to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, you know, the school where a teen gunman massacred 17 people in 2018. It hit close to home. The mass shootings are all horrific, unnecessary, and devastating to locals because everyone is affected in some way during these tragedies. I was in the first graduating class, 1992. I didn't know what to do with my life. I admired my cousin in the Air Force. He looked cool in his uniform. So I went to see a recruiter and I signed up. I wanted to be a paratrooper, but they weren't taking women at that time. I took the job of aircrew life support. I went to different survival schools. Yes, POW training camp included. I learned all about land survival and water survival. What to do if a plane goes down? How do you survive? I taught the follow-up courses. We did certain courses every year for refreshers. How to live off the land, how to be camouflaged, escape, and evasion. Depending on the aircraft, there was a different procedure for each one. We took care of all the equipment the air crew used on the planes to survive. Helmets, masks, parachutes, survival kits and rafts, vests, cold weather gear, chemical biological protection gear, night vision goggles, and so forth. First, I was stationed at Kiesler AFBMS, then to Davis Montan AFBAZ, oh, Arizona, Arizona, and lastly at Andrews Air Force Base. I worked with C-130s, A-10s, and commercial aircraft for the presidential wing. I loved it. I put my heart and soul into being the best that I could be. There were challenges for sure. I'm not vain or conceited, but I'm a good-looking chick, and I didn't want to be bothered by guys. I let people know who I was. Yes, I'm a woman, but I'm not going to flirt and bat my eyes to get my way. A woman in the Air Force has to prove herself a hundred times more. If you don't pull your weight, then you get kicked out. I was 125 pounds of mostly muscle. The parachutes are 60 pounds each and I carried them no problem. I got married at 19, way too young. We were in the same squadron. I thought he was so nice. Well, that lasted a year and a half. I had a child shortly after I got married. It didn't affect my career. Right after we got married, we were deployed to Aviano, Italy base during the conflict in Kosovo, 1993, my job was on the base and our planes would fly over and their job was to talk from air to ground and, and control airborne command and control. They helped with army movements. In 1997, I married another winner and had another baby in 1998 and got divorced again. 
So there I was, a single mom with two children, no child support. At my job, we didn't make a lot of money. I lived on the base with the kids. Life was still good. I loved my kids. I loved my job. I learned some hard lessons, and I was free from the relationships that had held me back. The future was in front of me, and I could make it into anything I wanted. And then, in 2001, it all went south from there. In 1999, I got my first anthrax shot. I got five shots in all within a year of each other. I never got the sixth shot. My good friend gave me the shots. She was ordered to go from squadron to squadron to vaccinate everyone. They were scheduled because of upcoming deployment to Kuwait, and we, all, and we were all forced to take it. At that time, what did I know? I'd already taken so many shots and basic training. I believed the government that it was for our own good and they were protecting us. We didn't know we were guinea pigs or that they had all these vials they needed to get rid of and people were making a lot of money thanks to us. They put squalene in the vaccines as an adjuvant. They were testing it on rats. It was illegal what they did. Squalene isn't licensed for use because of potential side effects. It was presented in 1990 as an investigational new drug, and that's what the FDA coded it as. It was the first time this fax was made, and military personnel were the greatest guinea pigs. We didn't know the backstory as we rolled up our sleeves. That in the late 1980s, they'd found out that adding squalene to antigens in the vaccine protected guinea pigs and mice from a bad strain of anthrax. Or that on the eve of the Persian Gulf War in October 1990, the DOD had created a military task force codenamed Project Badger to find companies that could quickly manufacture more doses because they didn't have enough. Squalene had worked on furry little animals with lots of side effects. Why not try it on humans? And then we started getting sick. Here's an excerpt from a 2001 Guardian article about it. The illness, the illness known as Gulf War Syndrome looks likely to have been caused by an illegal vaccine booster given by the Ministry of Defense to protect soldiers against biological weapons according to the results of a new series of tests. Scientists in the United States found that symptoms of the illness were the same for service personnel who, ha who received the injections whether or not they served in the Gulf. The common factor for the 275,000 British and U.S. veterans who are ill appears to be a substance called squalene, allegedly used in injections to add to their potency. Such an action would have been illegal. Squalene is not licensed for use on either side of the Atlantic because of potential side effects. And here we continue with Robin's story. In the 1990s, the FDA threatened to shut down the Michigan lab that was producing the shots, but the military was like, oh, it's the only lab that can manufacture it. This is a great opportunity for Admiral Crow. He was the, this was a great opportunity for Admiral Crow. He was the ambassador to England for Clinton. He got wind of the vaccine lab problem and talked to a big business guy in England, Faud Al-Hibri. With the purchase of the Michigan lab by Al Hebrew, Admiral Crow got 10% of all proceeds. They said it was to protect us. It was all about money. Here's a July 8, 1998 New York Times article on the topic. And I quote from that article. The state of Michigan yesterday approved the sale of the nation's only licensed manufacturer of anthrax and rabies vaccine to the company led by Admiral William J. Crow Jr., a former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the United States Ambassador to Britain until last year. The sale of the Michigan Biologic Products Institute, the last state-owned vaccine laboratory in the United States, gives Admiral Crow's newly formed company the Bioport 
Corporation, an inside track on at least $60 million in Pentagon contracts for anthrax vaccine to protect the nation's 2.4 million members of the armed forces and reservists against an anthrax attack. And a March 2021 LA Times article continues, that year, the company that would become Emergent, then known as Bioport, paid Michigan $25 million to buy the license for a government-developed anthrax vaccine and an aging manufacturing plant. The company opens it, opened its doors with one product called Biothrax and one customer, the Defense Department, which required the vaccine for service members. The 2001 attacks created a huge new market as the government began filling the stockpile with treatments for anthrax and smallpox. But Emergence Anthrax vaccine was not the government's first choice. It was more than 30 years old and plagued by manufacturing challenges and complaints about side effects. Officials instead backed a company named VaxGen, which was developing the vaccine using newer technology licensed from the military. Emergence successful campaign against VaxGen, deploying a battalion of lobbyists publicly attacking its rival and warning that it might cease production of its own vaccine if the government didn't buy it, established its formidable reputation. By 2006, VaxGen had lost its contract and the government had turned to Emergent to supply Biothrax. They were totally feared by everybody, said Dr. Dr. Philip Russell, a top health official in the administration of George Dub. George W. Bush said in an interview. A Times analysis of federal documents and corporate disclosures found that from 2010 through 2018, the anthrax vaccine consumed more than 40% of the stockpile's budget, which averaged $560 million during those years. Over the past 15 years, the company recorded a gross profit margin of about 75% for the vaccine in an arrangement that one emergent vice president called a monopoly. It is a very, very good business, the vice president for investor relations, Robert G. Burroughs, said in a 2010 presentation. End of quote. Emergent was never a big name during COVID, like Pfizer or Moderna. That's because the government paid Emergent $626 million to manufacture COVID vaccines, but it never produced a single dose deemed usable by federal regulators. Rather, the company's Baltimore plant ruined millions of doses of coronavirus vaccines. It's unlikely Mr. L. Hebrey cared. Since Emergent's stock had performed so well in 2020 that he cashed in shares and options worth over $42 million, the New York Times reported. So continuing with Robin's story. Back in the late 1990s, there were millions of anthrax vaccines left over from the unexpected short war of Desert Storm at the Michigan Biological Product Institute. The manufacturing process was not under FDA inspection scrutiny yet. However, in 1993, FDA inspections began and they were not and they were not um, be, began and they were not ended until MBPI was sold to Biport. And in 2004, a new formula came out. Did the U.S. pay for anthrax vaccines for Desert Storm and then for the same ones for Clinton's anthrax vaccination program? 
wouldn't surprise me. The FDA found mold and cross-contamination, unlabeled vials, vials not passing required tests, and so much more. The greedy jerks in Clinton's administration had to figure out a way to use the Desert Storm vials and make money at it. Clinton and the Secretary of Defense decided, let's say anthrax is a threat in the Middle East because we need to use these vials. No large catches of biological and chemical weapons were ever found in Iraq. It was all a lie, the whole war on terror justification. The CIA whistleblower of this information committed suicide, in quotes, not long after he testified before Congress. The government had to shut him up somehow. Thousands of service members and government civilians got the vaccine, all so a few greedy men could make a buck. I moved to Maryland in 2001, and that's when my body really started breaking down. I started getting eczema. Not long after my fifth vax, I got mono, I think from the buildup of all the vaccines. Then I got an ovarian cyst burst. Then I had an ovarian cyst burst, and I had to have them surgically removed. I had a hernia and surgery. Yes, all in 2001. My connective tissue is now crap. While I was in the hospital, my current husband, Chris, came up with a couple of folks from work with flowers. He was interested in me, but I didn't know. He was so cute. I agreed to go out for a drink, and the first thing I asked him was, do you love your mom? He said yes. So then I was like, okay, we can talk now since you love your mom. He did the same job as I did in another unit. We dated for a year, and then we bought a house together, and a year later we got married in 2003. He's the greatest stepdad in the world. He knew all my health issues from the beginning. He stands by me through everything. He's a fantastic caregiver. I'm 49. My sons are 25 and 29. My oldest went to college and then enlisted in the Air Force. My youngest went right went right after high school. Their choices were join the military or go to college. I didn't want my kids playing video games in my basement without a future. I got my bachelor's in 2005 and earned an MBA in 2015. I had an amazing career until my body just couldn't function correctly. I could go on and on about my health issues. They just got worse and worse. I always thought maybe the vaccine was doing all of this to me, but I didn't put it all together until 2017 when I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and mixed connective tissue disease, very rare. My sugar was so bad, I was almost in a coma. I lost 10 pounds in a week. It's a very rare overlap syndrome where you can have symptoms of different diseases like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, um, scleroderma, I can't pronounce all these, Sogren's syndrome, my, my, myositis. I have symptoms of Sogren's where your immune system attacks your salivary glands and dries up your eyes and your nose and your mouth and everything that is supposed to be moist. Additionally, I have symptoms of RA and lupus. All of these affect my organs, brain, skin, etc. I was just diagnosed with dermatomyositis, another rare disease. It's an inflammatory disease affecting your skin and causing muscle weakness. Now these diseases are way more complicated to deal with. They all affect everything inside and outside of my body. Before the autoimmune stuff hit, it was all structural, and I had surgery for it. In 2003, my rotator cuff needed repairing, and a mysterious cyst showed in my, my shoulder, in my shoulder x-ray, which is actually a hole. I was lucky it was caught, and my ortho filled the hole with cadaver bone. I was really good at push-ups, but if I kept going, my humerus would have eventually snapped. 
my gallbladder stopped working in 20, 2008, appendicitis in 2014, almost burst, so they took that out. After my ovarian cysts were removed in 2002, fibroids began to grow over the years, and in 2018, I had to get a full hysterectomy due to the pain. Somehow, I also had developed the rare disease thoracic outlet syndrome over years, and no neurologist found it until 2017. The compression of my veins and nerves was horrific and causing severe pain. So in 2018, I went to Tampa for a bilateral first rib removal. Yep, and I got to keep my two little ribs. I've been in pain for 23 years. By 2019, when I moved to North Carolina, I was like, I am just so sick, I want to find out why. I started researching the anthrax vaccine and I found Dr. Merrill Mass. She went to Congress to vouch for us being so sick in 1999 to early 2000s, as did Dr. Pam Assa, who developed a squalene test assay at Tulane University. The Army said they would make one as well with her studies, but they never did. Why? Because then they would be admitting that, they, that what they've denied, that there is no squalene, they said. The government made sure Dr. Assa's studies were never reviewed by peers. She found the link as to one major cause for Gulf War illness syndrome, which at first they said was from PTSD. Seriously, they knew they fucked up at this point. So here we go on the crazy train to wasted studies, contracts, billions of dollars to figure out what they already know and still won't admit anything about the anthrax vaccines. Anyone who supported these women were blacklisted, died somehow, etc. But I started realizing at least I wasn't alone. There were other people suffering and it was from the vaccines. Except nobody wanted to do anything about it. We all suffer in silence, just like people suffer from the COVID vaccines. It's disgusting how our government treats us. It was only the military with anthrax, but it was the entire world with COVID. It's always the same story. We justify making biological weapons and then vaccines because other countries have them. Then it turns into let's make money. Every year when budgeting came, it was scare tactics about Iran and Iraq. So we have to keep on giving these shots to our military. It takes millions and millions of dollars to make it and disperse it. But really, who's going to actually use anthrax as a weapon? There is no filter that protects you from anthrax because it's so deadly, it's like a nuke. But now we have all these dangerous physical and biological weapons building up, it's out of control. Anything can happen, and it can be an accident or a rogue, crazy person, who knows. But the money, the involvement of all the top people who are in it so thick and making money off of it, that's the reason it never ends. And that's the reason they have to make it into some big threat and use scare tactics on us all. And then they create the monster and they breathe life into it. And we are now on the verge of destroying the entire planet because of it. I loved every day I was in the service, but we were poisoned and dying. I would never do it again. I do worry about my boys and what crap they've been vaccinated with, but they made their decisions before I figured out what was making me so sick. In my opinion, in light of what's happening in the Middle East now, there is no way the top intelligence agencies did not know about Hamas attacking, unless they were using sign language. We and other folks we, ha we and others have folks embedded. We always do. The religious wars have happened for so many years. They were making too much money. Nothing ever surprises me. The story of anthrax, end of, uh, end of uh, Robin's story. 
The story of anthrax is a story of corruption and cronyism in Washington that has spread across the world, of powerful monopolies created by buyouts of competitors, of no-bid contracts facilitated by friends and government. It's a story of unbridled spending by former military-turned-lobbyists like Admiral Crow, who helped El Habri, Habri corner the market on, on the anthrax vaccine. And where did it get us? As the documentary Anthrax War shows, the U.S. military has spent decades preparing for a biological war where the weapon is anthrax. Yet so far, the only anthrax Americans have been exposed to came from our own military's labs. And the only harm our troops have had to defend themselves against is the vaccine injuries from squalene-laced biothrax. The war on terror has achieved nothing except death and destruction of such magnitude that we are now on the brink of World War III. It's unlikely our greedy, weak-minded leaders will do anything to stop it, since all they care about is the wealth and power these wars lavish upon them. They will be dethroned, of course. The powerful always are. It's just a question of whether or not this time it will be too late, and we all go down with them in a mushroom cloud of total annihilation. That's the end of this uh, essay. I hope you, well, I can't say the word enjoyed it, but I hope that it was meaningful to you and that you learned something from it. Please share, please subscribe and comment. God bless you all.